Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to sports scientist Jan Lemur. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. You do not how exci- know how excited I was to finally get uh, get Jan on the podcast. So in this episode, as you can imagine, a lot was focused around his infographics, where they came from, how long it takes him to do them, how he chooses the papers. Hopefully, the questions that uh, everyone's kind of been wanting to have answered in, over the last couple of years since Jan started doing them. Uh, so we also have a little chat around, firstly, his research, because uh, Jan has some really interesting research out there, um, and a li- about a little um, development in terms of the infographics, in terms of an app that Jan is going to bring out, which we discuss in a lot more detail on the, in the episode. So as I said, super excited to get Jan on. Um, it was a great episode. I'm really glad I had the chance to chat with him, um, speak about what he's doing uh, infographics-wise, research-wise, and uh, projects that are coming projects that are coming up in the future with regards to the app, and the um, the project that he's got going on with previous episode, previous podcast guests in Mathieu Lacombe and uh, Martin Bouchette. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Uh, it's certainly one I was excited for, which I'm sure I, uh, I'm sure you'll be as well. So enjoy. When we are talking about uh, science dissemination, uh, I think that we have to keep in mind that the idea is to have a new, uh, new way to share science. And uh, it's not a, a substitute uh, to scientific articles. It's just... Uh, different way to share the knowledge but just before we do get into this episode i want to say a big thanks to vald performance for sponsoring this episode today so if you haven't heard of vald performance they are the guys behind the nordboard the groin bar and the all-new human track so if you haven't heard of either of them three products visit valdperformance.com i'll follow them on twitter at valdperformance so their all-new human track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results, with some more to come, which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valveperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valveperformance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Forstex. So big thanks to Forstex for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a Forceplate hardware and software solution, visit forstex.com. But also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of Forstech, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, it's certainly not a sales pitch for Forstech, 
but you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of Forstex uh, as re with regards to the, the software. So if you are interested, Forstex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jan Lemur. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So one of the podcasts that I have been dying to do for a long time is with uh, this evening's guest. So welcome to the podcast, Jan Lemur. Hi, thanks for the invitation. No, thank you very much for coming on, Jan. It's, uh, it's really exciting to get you on and have a little chat about uh, a few things. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself um, and things you've done in the past, things you're doing at the minute? Yeah, for sure. Before starting, I would like to say thank you for the invitation. And I want, would like also to say that uh, it's a real pleasure for me to, to contribute because uh, a few months ago, Martin, Martin Boucher told me that uh, I should listen your podcast. And I have to say that uh, I was not disappointed. I think that you are doing a, a great job and I'm really happy to be, to be here with you uh, this evening. Thank you very much. Uh, so to, to discuss about my, my background, um, I'm involved in sports science uh, since uh, I started uh, studying sports science at the uni. Uh, it was uh, maybe uh, 18 years ago. The main reason why I started uh, in this field was because I, I always uh, uh, enjoyed practicing sports. Uh, I played tennis for a long time and, and then I, I moved to triathlon. Uh, and I, I have always been interested by performance about training methodology, physiology, and so on. So when I was young, I tested a different thing on me to monitor my training, to, to develop my fitness, and so on. And um, that's the reason why I, was all, I have always been interested by, by, by sports science. Um, but um, in France, you know, the... There are not so many uh, job opportunities uh, in this field. So um, uh, to secure a salary, I, I decided to, um, to, 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 to get a job uh, before studying uh, sports sciences. So I became a physical education teacher. And then I, I, I was lucky because the uni where I, I did my, my study, employed me. So I was uh, giving lectures uh, at the uni. And then uh, it gave me the, the opportunity to, to really uh, start my, my, uh, my course uh, in, in sports science. So uh, because I had a salary, um, gave me the opportunity to have the choice to select uh, where I would like to, to do my, my PhD. So uh, I since I was uh, living in Paris, uh, I chose to work with Christoph Oswirt, uh, who was my PhD director. So I did my, my PhD uh, by working with the French triathlon team uh, for the, the Olympics in Beijing and in, in London. Uh, the topic was uh, very applied because uh, my job was to characterize the demands uh, of uh, Olympic distance triathlon and to provide some uh, tips and to to think about the strategies to to prepare for for the competition, and uh, also by working with with this team, it also gave me the opportunity to to work on different topics like uh, pacing, uh, 
training periodization, monitoring, resistance training, altitude, heat training, and so on. And so this period was very valuable for me. At the same time, uh, at the same time, because uh, at INSEP, uh, so the French Institute of Sport, you have a lot of uh, different sports. Uh, I also had the opportunity to work with uh, with uh, other teams, and um, at the end of my uh, of my PhD, uh, I get the opportunity to get a full time job uh, at uh, the, the institute. So. Um, I share my time between research. Uh, my main topic was about uh, overreaching in uh, endurance sport, about to identify how much training is enough and how to identify when you are uh, training too much. And at the same time, I was working as a consultant for, for the Federation, uh, which were preparing for London and Rio. So I was uh, working with uh, different sports like uh, synchronized swimming, swimming, um, open water swimming, mountain bike cycling, and triathlon. And I, I had also a, a good experience with the, the French uh, rugby sevens team. At the, uh, at the beginning of uh, 2016, um, I was... Uh, uh, offered uh, the opportunity to, to have a job at uh, Monaco Football Club. So uh, the club was uh, informed that uh, I was about to leave the, the French Institute of Sport. And uh, since I was already a consultant for them, they offered me the, the possibility to, to work as sports scientist for, 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 for the club. So my, my current role in Monaco is, is different than the previous one at the, the French Institute of Sport because um, I at INSEP I was working with uh, different federation, mainly as a consultant. Uh, it helped me to learn in many different areas related to performance. It also gave me the chance to, to discover different cultures of performance and, uh, but I had, I had always the feeling to lack time because I was not, uh, at uh, one percent, one hundred percent of my time with the with the same uh, squad, and uh, in Monaco um, now I have the, the possibility to focus on the same team every day. So my my role there is to to support the the, the squad by proposing um, evidence based and practical solution to 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 improve the way we are monitoring the player, the way we are managing the recovery, the rehab, and so on. So it's very challenging because it's the first time that uh, there is a, a sports scientist in, in, in a club, but it's, uh, it's very creative, and uh, I think that uh, this is the perfect way to, to learn. Brilliant. So just tell us about, um, I mean, we were chatting beforehand about the kind of the climate in France with regards to sports science and maybe there's not a lot of football clubs in France who have sports scientists is that right yeah yeah for sure uh, I think that uh, the, the first club who who employed uh, a sports scientist was Lille uh, with uh, Greg Dupont maybe eight or ten years ago and uh, the second one was uh, in Paris Saint-Germain when uh, Carlo Ancelotti arrived with uh, Nick Broad. And uh, now there is me, and uh, so there is Martin and Mathieu and Ben in, uh, in Paris, and there is me in Monaco, but uh, 
to the best of my knowledge, we are the only one uh, at the moment in France. So it's not necessarily specific to, to soccer. Uh, I think that, uh, for example, there is a big gap between the uh, UK. Uh, uh, the, the culture of uh, sports science is still weak uh, in France, in my opinion. There are not a lot of uh, job opportunities. And uh, except if you are working at the French Institute, Institute of Sport, or in a few federations like the Rugby Federation, for example, or the Swimming Federation, there is not a lot of opportunities to, to work with, uh, with elite athletes. So I think that it will improve, but uh, uh, there is a, a big gap to, to bridge uh, at the moment, especially when we compare this situation versus what is happening in, in Australia or in, in UK, for example. Why, why do you think that is, Jan? Hmm. Uh, it's difficult to say. Uh, I think that uh, it's a little bit part of the culture. Uh, uh, we are Latin people in, in France, and I don't know, but uh, sometimes I'm not sure that, um, you know, the, the scientific approach uh, is... Uh, easy to accept uh, for this, this kind of uh, profile. And uh, I think that we still have to demonstrate what we can bring. Uh, so I think that we have to multiply the, the good examples, showing that you can improve performance by increasing the relationship with the, the sports scientist. And I think also that it's very important to to have more experience with applied sports science because at the moment the sports science is mainly developed at the university and it's not necessarily focusing performance so i think that uh, we have to create uh, in france the role of applied sports scientist at the moment it's mainly academic there are a few guys like jean benoît morin for example who succeed to to create the link between the research that they are producing at the at the uni or in collaboration with with clubs or federation, but but there are not so many uh, like that. So I think that we need to be more with this profile and step by step. I think that uh, if we have good experience like that to promote, uh, we will have the possibility to see this kind of profile in the club and the federation and so on. But uh, it will take time, I think. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So the first thing I want to chat to you about um, is obviously the infographics, and I'm super excited to hear the story. Um, so just want to give us a little bit of background on, firstly, where that came from, and and then we'll have a chat about you know where it's going after that. But where did, where did the idea come from? How did it all come about? Because it all seemed to happen so quickly with, obviously, nothing and then it was everywhere and then you know people are pinning them up in football clubs and rugby clubs and he's just gone mad yeah uh, it's a it's a funny story uh in uh, 2014 um we did a, a big study at the french institute of sport um the idea was to to see how to optimize the, the performance rebound uh, by manipulating the workload during the pre-taper phase. So before uh, starting your taper, before a competition, the idea was to see 
um, the kind of uh, workload and uh, how much fatigue is uh, interesting to develop to fatigue and uh, the, which workload is optimized to maximize the, the, the rebound during the taper phase. So in my view, it was a, a good study uh, applied related to a question which may be interesting for, for coaches. Uh, and it was a very de demanding protocol because uh, I had to be at the institute for almost all the weekends during uh, six months. Uh, we were conducing a lot of tests and so on. And in the end, uh, the paper was accepted in a good journal in medicine and science in sport and exercise. And uh, I was uh, pretty excited to see this study uh, published. But uh, when I saw uh, how many people were downloading the paper on my ResearchGate uh, page, I was extremely disappointed because uh, almost no one uh, read or downloaded the paper. And uh, I was pretty sure that uh, it was a good study, uh, but uh, it was clear that uh, we were missing something regarding the way we were sharing the message. And um, my wife uh, is uh, working in the communication. And when I discussed about, about that with her, she told me that, okay, I was just stupid because just look at what uh, we are writing in the scientific paper, the, the way it looks and so on. And she told me that, okay, it's clear that it's certainly too difficult for coaches and athletes and to, to get access to that. And so I started thinking about a different way to, to share my, my study, my research. And uh, at the beginning, I was just uh, designing, um, you know, slides with PowerPoint and I was just uh, putting, publishing the image on Twitter. And uh, then I, I discovered a, a software, uh, a PictoChart. Uh, it's a software to design uh, uh, infographics. And this is how I started designing them. And um, the first one that I designed was on this uh, study. And uh, when I published it on Twitter, the, the response was immediately very positive. And so I decided to do the same with other papers, not only my research, but with uh, other articles that uh, I found interesting. And um, I immediately realized that uh, it had a good potential because the, the feedback on Twitter was very good. And so I decided to continue in this direction. Uh, so I was designing one infographic per day or sometime uh, a little bit less, but I succeeded to, to have a pace of four to five infographics per week. And uh, the response on the social media was very good. That's the reason why I decided to create a Facebook, Facebook page. And I created my first blog, blog to centralize all my infographics. Um, now I'm still continuing. They are like a part of my daily routines. <laughs> Even if uh, clearly it remains uh, difficult because uh, I have to conciliate their design with my work and with my private life. So uh, it's demanding, but uh, honestly, it's, uh, it was a very successful uh, adventure for me. But because I, I like the concept. I think it's fun and uh, it pushed me to be creative. And also it's the perfect way for me to keep learning because... Uh, uh, when I designed them and now I start uh, translating, 
translating them in other languages, I have to fully understand the papers. And for me, it's the perfect way to, to have new ideas for my job and uh, to, to keep learning. So how do you choose the papers that you make infographics from? Um, well, it's quite easy. Um, I have a list of um, different um, scientific journals uh, which are related to, to training, sport performance, and so on. So almost every day, um, I have a quick scan of what is new uh, in sports science. And when I find that a new paper is interesting, okay, I, I choose the, the paper and uh, let's do it. <laughs> but my, my main target is for, um, you know, uh, uh, SNC coaches, coaches, physiotherapists. Um, it has to be applied uh, because if it's not the case, I do not select the paper. Mm -hmm. I need to see the practical implications um, for, for people who are on the field. If it's not clear, I will not choose the paper. Where did the white men come from? Why was that such a uh, such a big became such a big part of it? Ah, the white men. Uh, it's quite easy. There are a lot of database, uh, yeah. not database, but bank of images in the on the web, uh, and uh, you can select them. Uh, uh, so nothing special about the white men for me. It was the easiest way to find different illustration and. Uh, this is why I choose this one because uh, there are a lot and so I have the possibility to, to fit with the ideas of the paper quite easily. Mm -hmm. and, and how long does it take you to design one? I suppose from reading reading the paper to designing it to putting it out on social media and the website and things like that? Uh, it, um, surprisingly, it takes me more and more time because... Um, uh, more and more and more people are following the infographics. So uh, now I have the obligation to, to design, to, to have a nice design, to make sure that I'm not making too many mistakes by translating the paper. Um, so I think that the average time is about two hours per infographic. Okay. Um, but uh, now it's taking more and more time because um, uh, I'm going to, to launch uh, uh, an app uh, next month. Oh, so the idea will be to, to provide them in, in different languages. So um, uh, they will, in the first time, they will be available in English, Spanish, and French. And uh, if the response is good, we will consider to, to translate them in other languages, like Portuguese, for example. Mm. So it takes me more time because now I have to translate them, for example, in French. Uh, so, but the, the main, the average time is about two hours per, per infographics. So will, will people pay for the app or will the app be free? No, the, the, the app will be uh, less than two euros per month. Uh, it's not possible to, to have it for free Trust. because um, we have to, to pay the, the cost for the for, for developing the app. And uh, we have also to pay for the translation, for example, in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So the, the idea is to make it uh, uh, 
as uh, to make it cheap uh, it will be less than two euros per month but it's not possible to keep developing the concept uh, for free so uh, this is the the decision that i have to to take and so to if i want to develop the concept we have to to make some investment and uh, so we have to build the app and it is expensive i would hope that people will be happy to pay less than two euros a month just for the the thank you to you for doing it for so long i'd hope that would be the case yeah something important to have in mind is that the the website was still uh, running uh, so people will keep uh, have access to to the infographics on the social media on the website and so on the only difference is that if they want to get them in a friendly environment in their phone with uh, the possibility to receive a notification with the possibility to quickly access to uh, the, the 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 article which is associated to the infographics they will have it on the on the app they will also have the access to the, the new infographics six weeks before they are published on the website but the the website will still be running so for me it's very important but because the the idea behind the infographics is to maximize the the promotion of what is new in sports science so if you uh, if you download the app you will have access to some other advantages but uh, the website will still be run and when does this go live jan one month yeah in one month. okay one other uh, option with the, the app will be to facilitate the search because yeah. um, there are more and more infographics. At the moment, I think that there are 700 on the oh, wow. website. And one of the problem is to find the, the one that you are uh, searching on a given topic. So the, the app will, will be uh, helpful for that. Brilliant. So. That will be available on the App Store and the Google, is it Google yeah. Play Store? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So we've gone through um, the kind of what's what's good about the infographics and the, the positive uh, impacts that it can have, but is there any negatives or uh, anything, any negatives on delivering information yes. that way? Yes, for sure. Yes, excellent question, and for sure there are there are some limitation, and uh, I'm happy that you you ask me the, this question. The, the the infographics are just a snapshot uh, of a scientific article, and um, it's very important to keep this point in mind and not to expect too much of such kind of media. Um, and on this specific point, uh, I recently read. Uh, uh, a very nice editorial um, written by uh, Franco, Franco Impelizzeri in IGSPP. And uh, the title was uh, With Great Power Come Great Responsibility. Uh, and uh, responsibility. And Franco was uh, pointing that um, there is an inherent risk of uh, oversimplification or misinterpretation, especially when the infographics are read by an audience which, which is not educated in science. And uh, I have to say that I fully agree with this point. Um, Franco also pointed that the infographics 
are uh, over emphasizing the, the, the findings of the, the, the studies and that they do not give the opportunity to appreciate the, the strengths of uh, the data and uh, of the, the design of the, the studies. And once again, that's true. Uh, when you look at uh, one infographics, you just have uh, a quick summary. It's an oversimplification of the study. And um, uh, it's not possible to, to go into detail. And I think that something which is extremely important to have in mind is that um, the, the infographics are just here to uh, promote uh, what is new in sports science and they will never take the place of the scientific paper by themselves. What I want to say when I, I say that is that people need to read the paper. And um, uh, this is why I, I, I fully agree with Franco. We have to be careful not to expect too much uh, with the infographics. The only point uh, on which I was uh, I disagree with Franco is that due to this uh, side aspect of the, the infographics, Franco was suggesting suggesting that we should focus on systematic reviews and meta analyses. To, to guarantee that the evidence are very solid uh, in the infographics and to make sure that uh, people are not going to put too much expectation on one isolated study summarized in one infographics. And um, this is the only point on which I, I disagree with Franco because, as I said, uh, the role of the infographics is just to promote uh, the, the scientific paper and to encourage people to, to read the, the, the full article. And that's, for example, the reason why you can systematically find the link to the full paper on my website. But um, uh, I, I think also that uh, uh, it is the responsibility of the reader to, to understand that Okay, this is just a summary of one study, and we cannot uh, have uh, uh, too much generalization of what is written on infographics. And if people believe that they will understand uh, everything on a given topic just by reading infographics, in my view, it means that they are a little bit naive and they are just lacking experience. And um, I think that uh, the problem is almost the same with a scientific paper by themselves. Uh, when you are a young scientist, when you start reading your first paper, at the beginning you do not see the, the subtleties of the paper, you don't realize the limitation that may be associated with a given protocol or a given device. And I think that the only way to fix this problem is to build your own experience. So for me, uh, I wanted to react on this editorial, which is very interesting and I like the, the work of Franco. But um, for me, it's important to keep in mind that the infographic are just here to promote the paper, but people for sure necessarily should read the full articles. And most importantly, they have to build their own experience because when you read uh, an infographics, but also when you read a scientific paper, the only way you can build a strong opinion is to confront what you are reading 
uh, in the journals, on the infographics, or what you can listen on the podcast and so on, with your your own experience. And this is how you can you can learn, and this is how you can uh, increase your your expertise. And um, uh, I, it's very important for me to to point this aspect because uh, I wouldn't like that I, people believe that I consider that. The infographics are the best way to learn. In my view, they are just a small piece uh, piece of the, the puzzle, and, and their role is just to encourage the people to, to stimulate their thought and to give them new ideas. But because in the end, as always, the answer is almost, it depends, uh, and you have to pay attention to the context, to your athletes, to your sport, and so on. And it's very important not to expect too much from, from the infographic. So we have to be careful with that and to make sure that, okay, when I read an infographics, keep in mind that most of the time it's only just a summary of one single study. And the next day, another infographics may say exactly the opposite. And the only way to, to build your own opinion is to test it with your athletes and to build your own experience. So as always, we're going to take a very quick break in this episode with Jan. So in part two, we discuss a little bit more around the future projects that Jan has got going on, as well as uh, talking in depth on some of his research that he did um, a couple of years ago. Uh, so we get into the, uh, the nuts and bolts of that. But just before we do get into part two, Big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Fatigue Science before, uh, Fatigue Science are the guys behind the ReadyBand, which um, are basically sleep tracking devices. But difference, the difference with Fatigue Science is that they use the SAFT, S-A-F-T-E, uh, biomathematical modeling uh, within the back end of the system to predict uh, when an athlete is um, it's optimal for them to have sleep, basically. So on long distance travel, where they can um, they can schedule in periods of sleep depending on their how many time zones they cover um, and when their game is. So uh, really interesting bit of technology that Ian Dunican talks a lot about in episode 174 of the podcast. So if you are interested in learning a little bit more, firstly, jump over to 174, have a listen to that, and also get over to fatiguescience.com and follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So over to part two with Jan. Hope you enjoy and I'll chat soon. Um, so other other ways for disseminating the information i know we had a little chat before about um other things that are out there obviously you're involved with martin and matteo with um sports performance reports uh it was that was that a was who, whose idea was that we never had, i never actually spoke to mine about that whose idea was that um the, it's, the idea is coming from the, the paper that Martin published, Houston, we still have a yep. problem, uh, because uh, well, Martin discussed uh, on your podcast about this article, but uh, for me, this article is very is brilliant, uh, because uh, it's, it is fair. Uh, I think that uh, this is a, a good overview of uh, the areas in which we may have the possibility to improve in the future. And so we discussed about it and 
we arrived to a point that we decided to create a platform uh, to to facilitate uh, the the publication for people who are working in clubs, for example. We we had the perception that sometimes the the gap is too big when they they want to publish something in a scientific journal because it's it's difficult, it's challenging, it takes time. And, uh, and because also we wanted to give them the possibility to, 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 to maximize the exposure around the practical implication associated with their work. And also at the same time, we wanted to, to create a place where uh, people would have the possibility to share their opinion, but also some technical notes. And uh, that's the reason why we created uh, this platform. So it's a different way uh, to 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 share uh, knowledge, to share to share science in, in sports, uh, and um, I think that uh, we are at the moment where we have the possibility now to quickly use new platform. Uh, it's very easy to to create a website. It's very easy to to create a, a video on YouTube and so on, and. Um, I, I think that we have now the possibility to create different uh, platforms where people have the possibility to get new ideas and to apply them uh, with their athletes. But uh, I think that uh, it's a global uh, you know, uh, approach of, of sports science. If you have a look at the moment, uh, you, you, have, uh, you, you are doing a great job with the podcast. Uh, the infographic, not only mine, may facilitate the dissemination of uh, sports science. Uh, SPSR is likely to provide uh, a new place for people to share their experience, for example, that they, they have with their athletes in their club and so on. I know that uh, uh, Chris Barton is doing, uh, is developing also a platform to facilitate the dissemi dissemination of evidence-based practices for physiotherapists. And uh, Mladen has a very nice website also where you can find some tips to uh, optimize your training monitoring, for example. And uh, I think that uh, it is clearly changing the game. For me, the scientific journals are extremely important, but uh, we are in the context in which we have now the possibility to, maxi to, to strengthen the link between the science that you can find sometimes uh, that you can find on in the scientific journals and the way you can apply it uh, with your athletes or with your patients and, and so mm -hmm. on absolutely and that's that brings me on to the obviously other ways to <clears throat> to disseminate research and that's something that has been a bit of a passion for mine for, for me sorry and that's probably comes from my frustration with not being clever enough to probably pick up them tiny little um bits of research that are really critical and kind of not not like letting them go and not really understanding it and that's where the audio abstracts came from because i wanted the author to tell me them things um in a in a video format but as as you've said it's all obviously very essential for people that are watching them audio abstracts or um, 
reading the infographic that they actually have to read the paper. But I'm hoping that through both the audio abstracts and the infographics, it makes them understand the paper a little bit more and it helps them to understand the nuances of that paper. So hopefully that's what these kind of services that people are creating, whether it be websites or it be infographics or videos, it helps to, it all, but it always comes back to the paper itself um, because that's obviously the, the crucial part that people need to need to read it and understand. Yes, exactly. I think it's, it's very important. And when we are talking about uh, science dissemination, uh, I think that we have to keep in mind that the idea is to have a new, uh, new way to share science. And uh, it's not a, a substitute uh, to scientific uh, articles. It's just a different way to share the knowledge. Uh, last week, for example, we had a perfect example of that with uh, Jace Delaney. Uh, Jace sent us uh, a paper on... Uh, scientific uh, on, on science um, uh, sorry on on uh, uh, sport performance and science report uh, the new platform that, that we created and uh, when I read the the report of Jace uh, I I told him it looks very interesting uh, Jace sent us a report on the training uh, efficiency index which is a, a new way to to monitor the uh, your, your your players, but um, I felt unable to reproduce the the methodology that he used in the, his paper. And uh, when I, I said that to Jess, Jess sent us uh, a step by step video tutorial with uh, uh, an Excel spreadsheet to explain step by step how to to calculate the index. And for me, this is typically a different way to share. Uh, uh, scientific knowledge. The first time that Jace published uh, something about these uh, parameters, it was in a, a good scientific journal um, and uh, science and medicine in, in football. Uh, but now, with the, this step-by-step uh, -step tutorial, we have the possibility to directly apply it uh, on the field. And I think that it's not meaning that uh, uh, we are uh, forgetting the the original paper, but now with the, this, uh, this tutorial, we have the possibility to directly implement the, this knowledge. And I think that it's the perfect illustration that by multiplying the, the sources of uh, where you can find knowledge, uh, it is likely to promote uh, the use of uh, sports science on the field. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. And I think it's excellent what you guys are doing, by the way. Um, some really interesting stuff coming out, and again, the like the Matt Jones video um, that you that that he did for the site, and obviously Jace's stuff um, just adds to, adds another layer to um, to the information that's on the site. But I just wanted to I just wanted to move on to the um, a little bit of training chat, um, and that was um, going back to probably your um, your 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 own research, and that was with regards to to overreaching. And just have a little chat around that, really, and what the kind of markers that you have you have seen value in, and maybe those that you haven't. Okay, um, we did a, a series of different studies uh, when I was working in the French Institute of Sport. Um, each 
each time with uh, endurance athletes, mainly triathletes. Basically, the the idea, the the, the protocol was the the design of the studies were was the same. Uh, we had each time two groups of uh, well-trained triathletes, a control group and uh, an overload group. Um, each time in the overload group, we increased the, the, the habitual workload of the participants during three weeks. And after that, uh, they had a, a taper phase. And uh, we asked different questions. Uh, the, the, the first one, and I think the most important one, uh, was to try to identify um, how much fatigue uh, is likely to be associated with, uh, which level of fatigue is likely to be associated with a good performance rebound during the taper, and when the level of fatigue is too high and it is associated with a poor response uh, during the, the taper phase. Um, what we observed was that um, it was a clear difference uh, in terms of the, the performance response between um, the athletes who were uh, in the, the overall group with two kinds of uh, performance uh, response. Some of the guys decreased their performance uh, during the overload period. It means that their level of fatigue was so high that they revealed that they were uh, very exhausted, and it was associated with a decrease in their performance level after the at the end of the overall period. And at the same time, some of the participants were also reporting a high level of perceived fatigue, but they succeed to maintain their performance level during the overall period, like uh, a training camp. And when we compared the, the performance response during the taper phase between the control group who just maintain its uh, usual, uh, its habitual training load versus the group who develop fatigue but while maintaining its performance level versus the group of overreach athletes, we observed that the best response was observed with the group uh, of, of guys who were acutely fatigued. It means that they, they were tired but they succeed to maintain their performance level during the overload period. So it was uh, an interesting finding, suggesting that, okay, it's important to maximize your workload, especially before the, the initiation of the taper. But when the fatigue is so high that you observe a decrease in your performance level, it may be associated with a, a poor supercompensation during the taper. And uh, when we conduce the, the study, we uh, recorded a lot of things at the same time about uh, the prevalence of infection, the sleep quality, the, the mood, the physiological response at rest and during exercise. And we observed that the poor performance response, which was observed in the overreach athletes, was associated with uh, a clear increase in the, the infection prevalence. Um, a, a decrease of the, the sleep quality, uh, which was measured with uh, actimeters. And we also observe at the same time that uh, the physiological response uh, was uh, modified uh, at both submaximal and uh, maximal intensity. And the most interesting finding was that um, 
At the maximum intensity, we observed that when the guy were overreach, it was associated with a decrease in the heart rate value, a decrease in uh, blood lactate concentration. When they were uh, stopped exercising at maximal intensity, it was associated with a faster heart rate recovery. And most of the time, when you observe that your athletes are demonstrating a lower heart rate value at maximal intensity and a faster heart rate recovery, we consider that it's a positive sign, uh, it's a good adaptation to train. But the, what was very clear with the overreach athletes is that it was associated with a, a clear inability to reach their maximal heart rate value at exhaustion, suggesting that um, the capacity of your cardiovascular system to respond to the, the, the workload is impaired when you are developing overreaching. So we have to be careful uh, when we, we only focus on uh, heart rate response at the maximal intensity because you may observe exactly the same response in overreach athletes than the kind of response that you, you are likely to observe when you are responding well to the workload. And the only way to make the difference is to add some perceptual measure, for example, a RPE, and you will see that when you are overreach, if your decrease in heart rate, your faster heart rate recovery is associated, is, uh, is observed, it will be associated with an increase in the, the RPE. And it will be the opposite if you are responding well to the load. So it was suggesting that we have to be careful when we only, fo we only focus on the, the physiological response to assess the, the, the fatigue status of the, of the athletes. Another finding which was interesting was that we also reported that uh, in the overreach athletes, uh, we, we observed an increase in uh, heart rate variability. And most of the time, it is uh, considered to be a positive adaptation to the, to, to the training. And uh, in our case, once again, the, the athletes who, who clearly demonstrated a decrease in performance, it was associated with something that is usually to be considered as a positive sign, uh, as a positive response to, to training. So the summary of that is we have to be careful about this, the, the level of fatigue that uh, we are inducing by training. It's just one single study, so we have to make to be careful not to to make it uh, as a rule, but uh, our results were suggesting that it's not that clear that when you develop overreaching, it is associated uh, with a, a good subsequent performance uh, response. And at the same time, uh, be careful with the kind of uh, markers you are monitoring because sometimes you, if you only focus on the physio physiological response at the maximal intensity, you may have the, the bad conclusion. So there's, there's a lot of people out there who are doing heart rate recovery runs, uh, like submax sub um, intensity. Does that, does what, what you found there, um, how does that affect them guys that are looking at heart rate response after a, a submax test? What would be recommendations there? Usually we consider that when you observe a faster heart rate recovery, it means that you, are, uh, you have a good response to, to training. 
What we show is that um, this kind of response can be also associated with a, a bad response to the to the workload, uh, and it can be represented. Uh, it can be associated with a state of overreaching. So the the conclusion of that is okay. You can try. You can track heart rate recovery and the way it is going to uh, evolve. For example, during a, um, a training camp, but have in mind that. If you just analyze this parameter in isolation, you may have the uh, you may have a wrong interpretation of of your data. And uh, the only solution to fix this problem is to have other markers, including some perceptual markers. Because if you have a faster recovery, but if it is associated with a clear increase, for example, of the perceived fatigue or a clear increase in your RPE at maximal intensity, uh, it may um, alert you that uh, it's not necessarily a positive response to the to the workload. To be clear, the only uh, way to detect overreaching and is to have a performance test. So when you um, do a performance test, you will see that the physiological response is impaired. Uh, you will see that your your athlete, for example, is going to be not to be able to to reach his uh, his maximal heart rate. And uh, when you will stop exercise, you will see that the, the exercise will see a, a faster heart rate recovery. But because most of the time it's not easy to to have a maximal test uh, uh, in your routine, uh, just keep in mind that just focusing on the heart rate response. Uh, I mean uh, the the heart rate value at maximum intensity, the heart rate recovery, or the heart rate variability at rest. Uh, if you are just focusing on that, you may have the the wrong uh, interpretation of of your data. And la, la, last la, la, last point about that, uh, we 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 did a study where we we look at the effect of the exercise intensity on this response. Uh, to see if we could observe a clear change in the heart rate value and heart rate recovery uh, at low intensity uh, compared to, to higher intensity. And uh, the conclusion is that, yes, there, there is a, a good um, uh, sig signal-to-noise ratio at, uh, at sub-maximal intensity. So it is something that you can have in mind when you are, for example, just measuring heart rate uh, during a, a submaximal test during your warm-up. So all what I said is not just for high intensity. You can have exactly the same analysis when you are focusing uh, at low intensity during during your warm-up, for example. Superb. Well, like I said, I was going to say we're, we're coming up to an hour, Jan, and I just um, I'm conscious that I'm uh, eating into your evening. So what I'm going to do now is just to have a little recap and then um, where, where, but where can people find out, firstly, more about the infographics, secondly, um, your research and social media, so three things. Where can, where, what's, what's the best place people to get to know more about the infographics? To, for, for the infographics, the, there is the website, so uh, ylmsportscience.com. And um, next month, uh, they, are, they will be also available uh, on, on the app. Um, so it will be uh, uh, 
a new uh, contribution for, for the infographics. Regarding my research, you can find my papers on my ResearchGate page. And for the social media, um, you can follow me if you are interested by the infographics on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, my, uh, my handle is uh, YLM Sports Science. Perfect. So I'm guessing when the app goes live, you'll put it on your website and people will get to know about it through social media and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Happy yeah. days. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Jan. I really thank appreciate you. it. It's something, something I've been looking forward to for a long time, was speaking to you. So yeah. it's, it's great to get you on. And, uh, and I really appreciate when someone comes on and speaks in English when it's not their native language. <laughs> so I absolutely, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, mate. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So as you could tell throughout the episode, I was super excited to get Jan on the podcast. So massive thanks to him for giving up his time. Also thanks to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Groin Bar and Human Track, Force Dex and Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So I know I ask it all the time, but if you could leave a rating and a review, if you are indeed, or honest rating and review, if you are enjoying the podcast and you are an iTunes listener, uh, that would be massively appreciated. So some cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, uh, and I will chat to you in the next episode.